online feed is the sound is kind of tweaked. Not that you know that. Sounds great here. Uh, but if you're online, hopefully we're fixing it. What do you want me to do? It's on. I'm on. Yep. Can you hear me? Okay. People are making faces at me and waving at me and texting me this morning. Where's my sound? Okay. Uh, would you turn to Matthew chapter 28? Uh, and I'll explain to you what I want to do this morning. First of all, a, uh, my name is Jesse, as a- Amy mentioned. She's been a great addition. She's helped out quite a bit. And it's just good to see you guys this morning. Uh, I think it was probably right around 8.30 a.m. There were still only like five of you here. And then all of a sudden, 8.40, you all just flood in at the same time. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but church does start at 8.30. Uh, we're just glad you're here, even if you're late. So, uh, oh, and I know there's traffic, but there's people skiing and all of that, and yet you're here this morning to worship Jesus, and I just, that blesses my heart, that all of the things that you could be doing right now, all of the things that you could be involved in, you could be sleeping right now, uh, and some of you might be, and you're not, you're listening to this later, and the sound is hopefully better, but, um, so we're going to do some topical stuff for a few weeks, and then um, we're going to get into uh, Haggai for a few weeks, and then we're going to start the book uh, the gospel of Mark uh, around March, right around Easter time. So uh, we've got kind of the year. Uh, we've prayed through that and wrestled through it, and that's kind of what we're going to be doing for the rest of the year. As Amy mentioned, there's great resources for you uh, in the back. And um, I want to I wanna take a few weeks um, as I was wrestling through, you know, kind of what, what do I want to share in the beginning of the new year? And, and I've been wrestling through this for a couple months, trying to get ready for January. And I, I had allotted a few weeks to just talk about this big word discipleship and so I want to ask you the question when you think of that word discipleship uh, what comes to mind now if you're anything uh, like like I am if you grew up uh, in any way like I did I I grew up in a non-christian home uh, for most of uh, my childhood and and then all of a sudden as many of you know my mom came home around the time I was 12 and she accepted Christ as her savior, and everything started to change. Things got really different. My mom started to throw away things in the house, things that I didn't want thrown away, like my uh, Stone Temple Pilot CD, uh, and and uh, my my you know those kind of things. And and my mom began to wear long flowy dresses and things like that. Uh, and and so I started to come to church with my parents, and as many of you, uh, even before Wayne uh, came here, and and. Because of that experience from non-Christian home to full immersion church, and I know that's the story for some of you, even in the last year, that's the story for some of you, but, but for us, it was a real radical change, very radical change. My father who raised me, Dave Richardson, he used to own part of Hirschdale Auto Wrecking, and he built cars from the ground up, old classic cars. Uh, when he passed away, I, I had to go through about 18, somewhere between 18 and 20 vehicles that he was storing in Carson City. Everything from 1969 Stingray Corvettes to uh, 1940 uh, pickups and things like that. And he just, my dad just liked to amass and collect stuff. And then all of a sudden to go from, uh, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, car building, leather wearing. My, my parents were Harley Davidson motorcycle riders and and so they had the chaps and the whole nines there was a gal used to live actually uh right off of donner pass road who used to hand make 
leathers for all the motorcycle people in the in the town. And this is Truckee, California, right? This is this is like for those of you who remember, this was when Truckee wasn't on the map. And, and like literally, we used to have T-shirts that we wore. And forgive me for saying it, but but this is just a true story. Where the hell is Truckee? That that was the T-shirt of my day, and you could walk around Truckee, California, and you literally could name everybody by name, and you knew everyone that lived in town. Everyone drove basically a beat-up pickup truck, and uh, and and then obviously, as you know, now here we are, right? There's a ton of wealth in the community. There's more people than we can handle. Uh, there are Teslas and there are Range Rovers, and you can go into town and not be recognized, uh, which has actually been kind of a welcome uh, addition for me, <laughs> especially, especially now with the mask thing. If you have to wear a mask somewhere, then, then you really aren't recognizable. Um, and so when I started coming to church, there were all of these words, theological terms, doctrinal stuff, Christian, Christianese, really. And, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I didn't like it. It felt weird. In fact, I remember my mom trying to enter me into the foray of Awana, the Awana program, which we still put on, and it's a great program. Uh, but for me as a young uh, kid, I felt really judged. I felt um, all of these kids knew things about the Bible that I didn't know. They knew words I didn't know. And their behavior uh, was, was much more policed by their parents than mine. My, my mom literally stopped using drugs when I was around 12. And she had me when she was 17. So by the time she stopped using, I, I basically had learned how to live and operate life without uh, parents that were really always around. And, and then all of a sudden I got a mom who was there. And, and what, I, what I'll tell people is we, my mom and I kind of grew up together, right? Because you kind of delay uh, your, your maturity when you use drugs. And so this word discipleship is kind of one of those words. You, you see it uh, obviously on the screen. You see it below the screens. It's on our bulletins. It's on our webpage because it's our vision. It's, it's what we want to be. And so every now and then we have to kind of discuss uh, and bring up, you know, hey, this is what, what we're all about. And, and discipleship is what we're all about. And as I've transitioned in my maturity as a Christian, I, I've come to love some of these terms. I've come to adore some of these terms. I, I feel still a little bit um, like, hey, I know some of these terms don't, don't always land in your minds the way they do for me because I'm in, in the back and I'm studying and I'm surrounding myself in this, but it's my job to take a word like discipleship, bring it into a room like this, and say, hey, this is what we want to be. So I want to define discipleship, and I want to tease that out over at, le at least at least the next two weeks. And so I'm not going to give you all of my major headings up front like I, I try to do. Uh, I'm going to kind of walk through them. So the, and then I'm going to save some of them, if needed, for later down the road, which is kind of, uh, it's good for me because it, it allows me to pace myself and explain myself uh, a little bit further, and I don't feel as rushed, and I'll feel a little bit more free uh, with my notes. But I want to define discipleship uh, I'll give you at least the two headings this morning, at least at where we'll land. Defining discipleship and what discipleship is not, okay? Defining discipleship and what discipleship is not, and then hopefully we'll get more into what it is and what it looks like to do it, okay? You guys with me this morning? All right, you're awake. You got here a little late. That's okay. 
Hopefully you're caffeinated and you're ready to go and you feel good and 2022 isn't going to be 2022, right? Have you heard that little joke out there? Hopefully it's not that. Uh, And if it is, who cares? We have Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 16. These are the last words to Jesus. He's commissioning uh, his disciples to be about discipleship, to be about the mission of God. Matthew chapter 28 baffles my mind. Because it is Jesus taking his mission that he has walked perfectly for 33 years. And he is now giving his mission and the goals of that mission to 12 ordinary men. Well, 11, including Judas and then later Paul. But very ordinary men, very generic men, fishermen, not super well-educated kind of men. But men who are willing to sacrifice their lives for the greater good. And, And these are the words that he gives as he leaves and ascends to heaven. These are the words he gives to his people, which by extension is to us, right? Um, I just want to acknowledge one other thing, too. Uh, uh, Most of you, if you were here for Christmas Eve, you were aware of it, but Friday was Wayne's last day in the office here at Sierra Bible Church, and so uh, we appreciate and love Wayne. It was a little weird to walk by that office and to see it empty, but... um, We've had Sundays where Wayne wasn't here, but this morning felt different because we knew he wasn't not here because he was on vacation or anything like that. He just wasn't here because he doesn't work here anymore. And Sandy walked in with him this morning and said, I had to sit on him this morning so he wouldn't come into the church earlier, which is good. Do whatever it takes, Sandy. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he has the authority, he says. Right? First of all, notice the disciples are going to this mountain in which Jesus has directed them. It's kind of like a retreat, if you will, to get their marching orders for what they need to do for, for Christ. And so they go to the mountain... And they worship him, which is the correct response to the ascended Christ, right? The the right response to a man who has just died and has now been resurrected from the dead is worship. And worship isn't just singing. It, It is giving one's affections, giving one's life, making Christ the Lord, the King of all, Uh, the authority of all in your life, and and they worship. They fall down and they worship. That's the right response to someone who's encountered who Jesus is, right? One of the first fruits of falling in love with Christ is to worship Christ, right? it's, It's the desire to learn of who he is, to grow closer to him, and to know that, that Sunday morning, or as Amy mentioned, those Bible studies or, or those books, that it's not about just filling one's mind with knowledge, but it's filling one's mind with the person. Right? Uh, the, I have kind of a, a little bit of a tradition in the mornings when I get up uh, and, and I'm getting ready for church on Sunday. I turn on worship music just to, to get my mind in the, the place of prayer and adoration and remembrance of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Because most of our ills and most of our struggles are not because of a lack of knowledge, but a lack of, of really understanding 
that Jesus is with you at all times, all places. Uh, I don't know how many of you have spent time praying and realized in your prayer time, you know, all of the areas that you fall short. How many of you in the last month fell short in something? At some point in time, I mean, right? It's like Christmas season is supposed to be joyful, and we're supposed to sing, and we're supposed to be excited. And it is a time of probably the worst attitudes out there, isn't it? Right? As someone was saying, um, I mentioned to Amy and a few others this morning that a few years back, in my experiences being up here, you know, because I've only been facilitating the, the lead pastor role for uh, just over four years, so four and a half years, something like that. And, um, and so the duties of preaching every single week and, and, and at least with adults and not junior high kids and not senior high kids, which is what I used to do several years back. And, uh, and, and I realized something several years ago in the rhythm of the church, right? There's a rhythm that happens in this community. There's a rhythm that happens uh, in, in, in church as a whole. And, and, and January is usually the, the, the lowest attendance of the year for our church. And, and Amy was saying that at their waffle shop she has down in San Diego, it's, it's uh, a real slow time of the year. And why is that, you think? Well, everyone's tired. <laughs> Everyone has spent all of their money right? They've all been worn thin. They've all been to social gatherings. And, uh, oh, and, and oh, by the way, most of them were hungover yesterday, right? And so oftentimes, in, so I, I made a covenant with myself to just basically retire for the month of January and not work in January. But here I am. I can't help myself. It's January and I'm still working. There's these rhythms that occur and, and we have to keep coming back and rooting ourselves in those rhythms and in these, these little kind of blips of life that change, like what is really, really important? And so Jesus says, okay, all authority has been given to me, and because the authority has been given to me, he then tells his people by way of telling us to do what? Go. I mean, I think this is kind of interesting. Jesus is saying, I have the authority, so you go. And what he's saying is because you're in relationship with me, because you're connected with me, my authority is a shared authority that through the Holy Spirit has been given to you. So you have authority as well. And since that authority that is Christ, the same power that is in Christ, has been given to us, he then commands us to go, and the action is to make disciples of what? Everybody. All nations, all tribes, all tongues. He tells us to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is a command. It's a sacrament for us as a church. And then he tells us that because of that baptism and power, we're to teach all those nations, to teach them to observe all that he has commanded, he says. And then he goes on and says, Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That, that's the relational side. So it's not just knowledge, it's relationship. I'm with you, go to all of the nations, baptize them, but teach them. Teach them. The word disciple comes from the word Greek, which means to learn. So we're defining discipleship. Discipleship literally means to learn. 
And the way that it was set up in Jesus's day is you would have a rabbi and you'd have all these followers of the rabbi and the rabbi would give of his time. He would give of his effort. He'd give of his intellect, but he basically took his disciples, his learners, his pupils, and he would say, enter into my rhythm of life. Walk with me in my, this rhythm of life. And as we go about this rhythm of life, I'm going to teach you what it is to be a man of God, to be a person of God, to glorify God, to give certain aspects of who God is. I'm going to give of myself that you will actually learn. Now, likewise, us, we're disciples. Whether you know that or not, you're a disciple. If you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you are called to be a disciple. That is to, to literally be a learner, a follower of Jesus. And what's interesting is Jesus, who was a rabbi, and now he's ascended to heaven, Jesus doesn't just give of his time. He pours himself. He literally pours himself into the church to give the church power to multiply. So when we think of discipleship, it's go and teach, baptize, spread this knowledge that people will know who I am. And it's been said before that churches, when we go to heaven, this is important, especially for those of you who, who are, you know you're dedicated to Christ and some of you are serving and some of you are teaching and some of you are, are doing the things that you need to do to help spread and propagate and, and get the gospel out there and get the knowledge of God out there. But one pastor before uh, said that every church ultimately will be evaluated by only one thing. This kind of scares me a little bit. It worries me a little bit. That that one thing will be its disciples. That will be evaluated by one thing, and that is disciples. And that the church is only as strong as its disciples. Right? It doesn't matter how good our praise is, even though it's great. It, it doesn't matter how great our children's program is. It doesn't matter how much we help the needy. It doesn't matter how much we, we, we do any of these kind of exterior things. What matters is have we really made followers, Christ followers of people that Jesus has called them to be real Christ followers. Like that's what we're going to be evaluated by. As much as I love doctrine and theology, we're not going to be evaluated as much by our doctrine and theology as much as we're going to be evaluated by have we really created followers of Jesus. So, so let me just share with you some of my own personal feelings. And I know some of you will disagree with this and that's okay. You're free to, and I may be wrong. Okay. So I'm going to throw that out there. I might be wrong. One of my biggest issues in the American church, there was a huge swathing, sweeping mentality over the, the Christian church. And if you've been a Christian long enough, Wayne will tell you, there, there are always these kind of sweeping moments in, in, through the church of everyone needs to be doing this. Everyone needs to be doing that. And there was this whole deal at a Saddleback church that came out several years back. Remember, Wayne, right? The whole seeker-sensitive movement. And so this idea was, we're going to create Sunday mornings to, to be seeker-sensitive. Right? We want to be sensitive to seekers. We, we want to tell a lot of really good stories because stories get people engaged. They draw people in. And, uh, and we want it to be entertaining. Right? We want the pastor to entertain us. We, we want the lights to be cool. As Amy mentioned, we're going to change it to the info, whatever. That's all new to me. Okay? That's new to me. And over the years, I've be, I used to be, I got swept up with that. I, I was in San Diego, California at my early ages of being discipled as a leader. 
And there were all of these church services that were just doing amazing, large, great things. There was a church uh, off College Avenue. It was College Avenue Baptist. They did an evening church called The Flood. And there was a band that came out of The Flood that some of you probably would even know today. I can't remember their names. That's how popular they were. And, uh, man, their worship was amazing, right? The lights were dark, and it was just filled with college kids. And, and they're raising their hands, and they're all worshiping with great emotion, great vigor, because that's what a concert like that does, right? And then there was another church that came out of the church that I came out of called The Rock. The Rock today, the last I heard, uh, Miles McPherson, who pastored that church, 13,000 people go to this church apparently, right? And, and again, great preaching, great storytelling, wonderful music, and a program, a program for everything. I remember Miles literally saying, okay, listen, the best way to do ministry is we got to create ministry for everything. So there was a, a bicycle ministry and a surfing ministry and, and a volleyball ministry and a soccer ministry and a flag football ministry. I mean, you could go on their webpage and it was like, you got 13,000 people. You can do that. Am I right? Like you can have several football teams and play flag football and, and that's great and that's amazing. But the church isn't going to be evaluate all that. And so my personal feeling in regards to the seeker-sensitive movement is it lacks one of the main commandments that is given in Matthew chapter 28. Teach. Right? You're not discipling people, and the church is not doing its job if it is not teaching what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. What it doesn't look like is a ton of emotional experiences. Like it can be that. You can have an emotional experience. Jesus gave us our emotions. God gave us our emotions. But do our emotions ever fail us? Has anyone's emotions ever failed them? You ever made a stupid decision because it felt good? And so ultimately, discipleship as we define it is learning. And it's following. And it's giving oneself to Christ as the rabbi, the Lord of Lords, the, the King of Kings, and saying, I'm going to go farther in my relationship with Christ. And as Bonhoeffer says, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. So if we're not discipling, this is why even though when I first became a Christian at 12 years of age, all the way from 12 to 18 and heard words like discipleship or any of those other kind of biblical terms out there that are Christianese, they, they kind of turned me off a little bit. But as I start growing and as you start growing in your relationship with Christ, these words start to matter to you. And several years ago, myself and the elders sat down and crafted what you see bef be before us in regards to our vision statement and what we're all about. Because if you've been here at all, you know we want to follow Jesus. And we want to teach. And we want to disciple. And we want other people to disciple because, as we'll tease out over the next couple weeks, guess who needs to make disciples? Y'all. It's y'all. So at some point... You have to move away from just being a pupil and start acting a little bit more like a rabbi. 
You have to start identifying yourself not just as a people. And the reason I say it that way is important because you will never cease being a pupil of Christ. You'll never stop growing. Even in heaven, you will still be being sanctified, learning new things about God. But yet, God is saying it is now time at some point in your walk with Christ to make disciples, other followers of Jesus. To, to allow other people who are younger than you, we'll, we'll tease some of this out again in the next few weeks, people that need to learn more to bring them under your wing. It's one of the reasons why we provide a tremendous amount of Bible studies at our church. Because we want people to learn to follow Jesus. Now remember, remember, we're not talking about in discipleship just knowledge. That's why Jesus says, behold, I'm with you. Right? It's about intimacy. It's about growth. So what that, that's a quick little definition of discipleship. It's, it's to follow. And as we progress in the messages, more of this definition will, will come out. It's to follow. It's to give oneself completely over to Christ. It's to learn, as the Greek says, it's to learn. Now, just let's be clear. The word disciple is in the New Testament. The word discipleship is not. Okay, so disciple is a follower of Christ. And then this idea of, of discipleship is a new term that we kind of use to basically say you're a Christian. Now, what is it, what is it not? What is discipleship not? Number one, uh, hopefully this is really clear to you, discipleship's not an option. What is discipleship not? It's not an option. You are called to disciple everywhere, no matter what. Do you remember uh, how many of you are parents in here this morning? I know most of our families uh, come to the 1030 service. Um, and uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, who, what's it say? Who knows it? Say it with some confidence. <laughs> Teach your children all the, all the time. Yeah, that's essentially what it says. He, but it literally says, Teach your children, which is discipleship, and the way that Deuteronomy explains it is to do it as you live your life. When you're walking, you teach your kids about Jesus. When you're eating, you teach your kids about Jesus. When you're cleaning the house, you teach your kids about Jesus. When you're out skiing, you're looking at nature, you teach your kids about Jesus. Right? That's what it means as a parent to disciple your children. And likewise, God is saying, those that you know are Christians that maybe are lower than you as far as their knowledge of God, take them along your path, teach them what you know. Because discipleship, here's the crazy thing about discipleship. How many of you remember uh, me saying um, that no one is worship neutral? You've heard me probably, this is why it's okay for me to repeat myself, because apparently you don't remember. Um. When we say that no one's worship neutral, what we mean by that is that from the moment of birth to the moment of death, you're built to naturally give your life and adoration to something. No one gets to say they don't worship something. No one gets to say that, that, that they, another way to say it is no one gets to say they don't have a God because everyone has a God. Best way to know what your God is or what your idol is is when it's taken away from you. When it's taken away from you, how do you respond? Right, so... Another fun part about being up here, getting to share parts of my life, right? One of my comforts, one of my idols is comfort. 
It's comfort. I actually probably would extend to say it's probably the American way is comfort, right? Like, I enjoy my evenings, like one of my favorite parts, right? And you sit down in your little, you know, we've got those little leather couch. We've got one of those, and it goes back. Right? It's all electric. And then you're too far back, and then so there's another button. And then you got your blanket on you, and you're like, dude. That's the best. And then when the snow comes, it disrupts your comfort. Right? In the, in the last two weeks, I don't know how your last two weeks have been. It's been crazy for me. I broke the back window of my truck. My four-wheel drive went out. My credit card had some fraudulent activity on it, so I had to cancel that, which means we haven't had any, any – uh, we use our credit card for basically everything to earn points, pay it off. We're never in debt. So now I'm not earning points. That's a real frustration, right? That really bums my comfort out because I need those points. Right? It was just – I told my wife, I feel like I'm dying by a 1,000 paper cuts, just one little thing after a little thing. And – and then you realize in your walk, because Jesus is a loving father, and because I'm a true disciple of his, he's letting me know, you, you, you've allowed this to become a type of something that you give your life to. You're looking for comfort from this false reality and false God. And, and we all have that. And just like there's no such thing as worship neutral, right? You, I'm sorry, but if you're here this morning, and you're someone who is yet to come to faith, I would challenge you to look at your life and say, if you're not giving your life to Jesus, what are you giving your life to? And there's a lot of things we give our lives to, everything from skiing to snowboarding to, to exercise to entertainment to social media likes and all of those different things. But like we are not worship neutral, we're also we're never disciple, discipleship neutral. So what I mean by that is, at any given moment, any given time, we are giving our lives to something. We're worshiping something, whether it's Christ or something else. And likewise, the process of discipleship is always occurring no matter what. What I mean by that is you're either being discipled by Christ or you're being discipled by culture. That's, that was on the fly, by the way. Didn't that, didn't that sound good? That's... That you can quote me on social media with that one. <laughs> it's not being discipled by Christ, but rather being discipled by culture. And the culture is constantly trying to teach you something. The culture, which is ultimately led by the ruler and dominion of hell and Satan, is to get you to buy in to secular discipleship. Right? It, and, and in secular discipleship, it moves you from faith to doubt, from love to insecurity. Listen to this one. From community to individualism. From, contri from contributing to consumerism and from rest to exhaustion. Right? Our culture is pressuring you to be a certain way, to have X amount of dollars and and, you know, we have a situation where, um, oh, I won't share it. I can't share it. I'm going to get in trouble. i got to show some wisdom every now and then. <clears throat> so he here's what I, I just want you to think about in regards to all of your interaction, all of, all of the ways in which you interact with society 
that isn't Christian. And just ask yourself, what is actually being taught? You know where discipleship happens all the time? Disney movies. Oh, some of y'all will be like, don't mess with my Disney. Don't mess with my Disney, man. And look, someone gave me for Christmas, you know what this is? This is a Mandalorian coffee cup. So I'm not super hateful, Disney. I like the Mandalorian. This, so. Just call me Boba Fett, whatever. It's not that I'm anti those things, but if you're not aware, if you're not aware that music, culture, TV, radio is trying to teach you and disciple you something, you, you, you're not doing yourself any service whatsoever. You have to think discerningly, what are they trying to teach me in this movie? So last night we watched, um, uh, I watched with uh, my kids in Kanto. And some of you probably haven't seen Kanto. This is probably going to land better in the 1030 service than this service. But Kanto is a, it's, it's a cute little movie, but there's little things in there, right? Be what you want to be and dream what you want to dream and live out your miracle. And, you know, all of these different things that, that appeal to us. But then when you look at culture and one side of culture is saying uh, women's individual rights matter. And yet, at the same time, OnlyFans websites are more popular than they ever have been, right? We're, we're more, more objectifying of women than ever before, yet at the same time, we're trying to teach that we want to lift women higher and we want to give them more power, and, and yet the culture is at complete odds with itself. It, it, it's butting heads with itself because that's what culture does when it doesn't worship Jesus. It doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, let's, let's just talk about in the last couple years— We've, we've all been wrestling with the whole coronavirus stuff long enough to know, you know, there's a lot of therapeutics at home that you can participate in to take care of yourself at home, even before you get the virus. And yet in our culture, remember that feet moving from, from, from faith to fear? There's no mention of home therapeutics, only, only the vaccine. That's the only solution. It's, the only, it's not the only solution. But there's a propagation that is going on in our culture that you have to be aware of that isn't just coming from the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, but coming ultimately from a world that is being led by an evil empire that is the kingdom of Satan. And I know that doesn't preach well, but it's my job to disciple. It's my job to teach. And if you go into the culture blind and not listening to what it is that the culture is trying to teach you, you're going to get caught off guard and you're going to end up discipled and you're going to muddy, you're going to muddy the gospel with things that, that the gospel should never be muddied with. And you're going to allow the cultural thinking to creep into the church and then the church is not going to be what the church is supposed to be. The church is going to look more like the world than looking like Christ. Uh, now, May it never be so amongst us that the church would look more like the culture. So back to my little pet peeve of seeker sensitive. The first words of the coming of the kingdom were from John the Baptist. What are his first words? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, John the Baptist who, who prepares the way of Christ what is this guy all about? He's living in the woods. He's dressed in camel hair, which, oh, by the way, sometimes you read that and you're like, oh, camel hair. That must have been the thing to wear back then. No, camel hair was known to be itchy and irritating. You wore camel hair to remind you that basically your flesh was your enemy. 
And then he's out there eating locusts with honey. Not necessarily the, the staple diet of the day. And, and if you wanted, if you wanted to encounter John the Baptist, if you wanted to find out about this kingdom that was coming, if you wanted to find out about this Jesus that, that, that he says he can't even untie a sandal, he's not even worthy to untie that sandal, that, that, that he, he is unworthy, he says, I got to decrease and Christ has got to increase. If you wanted to see this guy, where did you have to go? To the middle of nowhere. You had to buckle up. You had to put on your walking sandals, which Brad has on this morning, right? You know, put those suckers on, and then you got to go for a journey. Uh, it's it's going to be a little uncomfortable, right? You got to go out of your way. You got to pack something. You got to pack some food. Where are we going, Dad? Are we there yet? Oh, you'll know when we're there. You'll see this big guy. He's hairy. He's, he's loud, and, and he's going to preach the gospel, and Right? The idea of discipleship is not an option. It's a command, but we have to understand something about it. Discipleship's not, you're not going to look like the world, and it's not going to be an easy message. And so many churches in our day and age have been so seeker-sensitive, worried that they've compromised and they've watered down the Word of God. And you know what that creates? Mushy disciples. Followers who are not really followers. Followers that eventually, when the cares of the world come up, what happens? They disappear. They leave us because they were never part of us. Right? What makes the church so attractive to seekers is that the church is radically different than the culture. Right? Our music is different, the way we talk is different. The encouragement, what we study, what we give our time to, the fact, the fact that we even give, that we're generous with our funds to the kingdom of God is different. I, I remember my wife's uh, mom, who she's not a believer. She doesn't, um, you can pray for her, actually. She just bought, uh, for the very first time on her own, she bought a, a Christian book, a devotional book, and she's reading it, which is incredible. And um, she doesn't know Jesus, though. And I remember her asking us, if I gave you a gift of $1,000, would you give 10% of it away? And we said, yes. And she was like, well, you're not getting $1,000 in. Because she doesn't understand why would you waste your money and give it to something like the church. And it's because she doesn't understand, just like some young Christians don't understand, that it does take funds to get the gospel out there for free to people who need to hear it, right? It takes resources to make disciples. And we pool those resources because we can do more together than we can individually, right? The world wants to move you into isolation. That's its discipleship. It wants to move you farther away from Christ. But Christ in discipleship wants to draw you into community. He wants to draw you into presence. So discipleship's not an option. All that, all that to be said you, you do not get to say no to this. Are you with me? Now, that wasn't very confident. Because <laughs> I, I, I understand that this is, this is weird. The word is weird for some of us. And I know some of you are sitting in your chair thinking, 
I don't know enough to disciple. Do you remember the woman at the well? Woman at the well. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Jesus is traveling a path as a rabbi and as a Jew. He should not be traveling. He's cutting through Samaria. Samaritans and Jews have no dealings with one another. Then as a rabbi, he's not supposed to be speaking alone with women. And so here comes this woman, and he begins to talk with her. And if you read that passage, you'll see that, that as they're talking, she literally asks him, what is it you being a Jew or speaking with me, a Samaritan woman? Why are you talking to me? And so he begins to talk, and uh, he then starts to mention the water, and he says, if, if you drink of the water that I have instead of the water of the well, you'll never thirst again. And, and then she, she's asking some questions about that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says to her, you know, I actually, I actually really know you. Right? Remember presence? Remember Matthew 28? Lo, I'm with you always. I actually know you. You've, you've, you've been with a few men. You're promiscuous. And uh, you're with a guy right now, and he's not your husband. And her response, whether you realize it or not, is to leave and go make disciples. And you go, wait a minute. What, how is she doing that? She's going and teaching everybody all that she knows. Come meet the man that told me all my sins. That's, that can be discipleship. Come meet the man who will show you where you fall short. Come meet the man who will tell you that you're broken and bruised. You know that you really already are. You know that life isn't going the way that you want it to. Come, come meet the man that understands your fragility. Come meet the man that understands your shame. Come meet the man that, that knows the deepest, darkest parts of your heart and still will conversate with you and still will love you and still will give you water so that you'll never thirst again. You gotta come, you gotta come. And sometimes the only discipleship that you need, the only discipleship that you can give might be the knowledge that God is good, God forgives you of sins, now come to church so you can encounter him hopefully. At the same time, don't, don't slough off your responsibility to make disciples to me on a Sunday morning. Don't slough that off. Don't do yourself the disservice of passing non-Christians or weak Christians to me and missing out on the blessing of you being the person God uses to strengthen their faith. Now, with that said, if you're going to do that, fine. I'll take the blessing. I will freely take it from you. I will spend time with that person in the back. I will study with them. I will read with them. I'll journey with them. I'll take it. But just so you know, you're missing out. And I think that stinks. I feel sorry for Christians who don't walk in that power and that strength to see lives fully and radically changed. You know, we do an internship here. Some of you don't even know about it. But just as an individual comes along and says they want to do the internship, they come into the internship, and guess what? They start learning right away. Theology, interpretation, biblical study, all of that. They get into books that they probably would never get, on, get into on their own. And Marley's doing it right now, and, and she's, up here, she's up here singing. She's interning with us, and she just finished Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. You know why I'm doing this? It's not because... 
I'm, I want to hold a bread of uh, a loaf of bread. It, this is how big the systematic theology book is. It's a big book. And some of you are like, oh, that sounds so awful. When you're in love with Christ and you understand what he's done for you, you can't help but want to learn. You can't. I mean, Joe Casey sends me probably, I don't know, Brad, what do you think on a weekly basis? Four podcasts on, like four, at least every week. Our admin guy, because he's just, he drives from Reno and he's just consuming biblical worldview podcasts. Just consuming them. And he gets all fired up because that's what happens when you learn. You get passionate about stuff. And you start talking about it. And so every week I get four podcasts from Joe and I keep having to tell him, Joe, I don't drive 30 minutes back and forth, bro. I don't have time to listen to all this stuff. And if I read every book that all y'all gave me, I would never, I'd never have time to study. But as we follow Christ, we move away from the culture and closer to Jesus. So it's not, it's not an option. And so we're aware discipleship is not just a program or a prayer. It's not just a program. Uh, as one author says, discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus, and that will never end. Many Christians think that if they go through a 16-lesson course called discipleship or some other class, they're discipled, but discipleship doesn't end. The reason this is important for me to mention is because sometimes people think, well, if I just went through a program and I just read this book, or if I just went through the internship Jesse mentioned, then I'm discipled. No. You, you, did, it, you did some discipleship, but it never ends, does it? Like a, the Iwana program is not sufficient for discipleship. Youth program, not sufficient. Sunday mornings, not sufficient. What is sufficient? All of it, all the time, as much as possible. Right? Consume, not of the world and not of things and materialism, but consume the great things of Christ. Right? One of, and it's not for everybody, but one of the, one of the books I do feel every Christian should read is C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. It's one of the best books you could read. Now, he's, that's old enough now that for some of our younger readers, they're going to wrestle with that book because it is heady and very knowledgeable, but it's life-changing. And some of you are like, I don't like reading. Good news. Audible's out there. Did you know that? There's one you can connect with the library. Does anyone have that? Does anyone know about that? See, I'm teaching you, except for him. He knows. Did you know you can log in for free and listen to free audiobooks on, I think it's called Hoopla? Hoopla? You have it too? So the three of us. Hoopla. See, you're learning. You're being discipled. All right. Okay. Um, two more, and then we'll, we're going to take communion. Number one, no, uh, number one, number three. It's not just a program or prayer. Number three is discipleship is not clean. Discipleship's not clean. Like if you're looking for a sanitized process that goes smoothly, it's not discipleship. Right? But the, the, the idea of discipleship is that we, as we follow Jesus, we grow closer to Jesus and we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, but we, we're growing, right? 
And so if you were to put it on a chart, you'd think discipleship would be like, okay, I start here, right? At 12 years old, I became a Christian. And at 12, I begin to grow until, until I die. And then I go to heaven. And then I, I obtain greater knowledge and understanding of God. And the, but I'm still going to grow in heaven. And we think, okay, there's this nice clean chart. And it isn't like that. If you've, if you've been saved, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know discipleship doesn't go like this. It goes kind of like this. And then half the time you're like, what are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? I thought I was supposed to be learning. And then at some point you obtain and you learn this thing of God. And then you realize that as you understand this new nuance of God, for instance, maybe the love of God becomes just sparkling array to you, a beautiful diamond to be adored. And then all of a sudden you realize, I know that he's loving and kind, but I am totally incapable of putting it into practice. Anybody been there? I know he's loving, and I'm not. I know he's slow to anger, and I'm not. Right? And, and then you go, okay, Lord, I'm going to do everything I can to grow more loving. <laughs> and I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm going to do all that I can. I'm going to read and I'm going to study, and I'm going to pray, and six months goes by. And guess what? You're no more loving than you were six months ago. But then all of a sudden, someone says to you, you know, over the last few months, you really seem like you are far more compassionate than you used to be. No, I'm not. No, seriously, there's something, something seems different. I mean, this, and then you realize that, that you tried to disciple yourself into something, but, but Jesus was really more concerned about discipling you in another area. Or if you've been married, you'll know that at times you'd be like, you know, if you were really a follower of Jesus, dear wife, you would, you would grow in this area and you would learn in this area. I see it every day. When we try to take over in the relationship, right? Like, I'm going to help teach you what it is I think God wants you to know. Yeah. Cook steak a little more often. Jesus would like that. <laughs> but that's not what happens. Because your growth isn't dependent upon your strength. You're, it's dependent on abiding with Jesus. You're with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus. You listen to the things of Jesus. Jesus will handle the growth. You can't, you can't make yourself to be something that you're not. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Like, I have these moments of prayer where I realize that the weaknesses I have, I know that they're there. I know that they exist. And then I just will ask the Lord because, like, I'll be like God, I want to be more loving. But you can't find more loving in you without the Holy Spirit. It has to come from without. You can't make yourself be what you want to be. And that's hard to hear sometimes. You know, because I came from a background of if I, if I just exercise enough or if I just diet enough, I can change the way I look physically. I can become faster, stronger. I can, I can take control of that. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, you're, you're helpless without the helper. That's another tweetable one, isn't it? 
you're helpless without the helper. And so we have to ask the Lord, okay, okay, God, this is not going to be clean. It's not going to just be a program. It's not going to be just prayer. And I know it's not an option. And so I'm going to enter into the foray of how crazy this is. And then as you enter into the foray, this is my last point. Discipleship's not effortless. It's not effortless. What that means is that, is that even though you can't force yourself to change, you do need to discipline yourself to, to position yourself into a place of surrender before Christ. And then you go, okay, well, how do I do that? You've got to read Scripture with intentionality. And you've got to listen to other good Christian pastors with intentionality. You've got to listen to sermons even here on Sunday morning with some intentionality. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some effort into this. It, did it not take some effort for you to get here this morning? Right? Did it take, does it take effort to get to work? You know, you've got you to gotta get up. You've got to do some things to place yourself in the best position to, to do well. One of the things I, lear- I learned in college was that I could pass a class if, if I just showed up. Like I didn't even have to do all of the work. I shouldn't confess that, but I learned that I could put myself in a position of succeeding in school just by showing up. And then I started getting a little smarter about it, and I realized, you know when you really start doing well in class? When you sit in the front row. And then I saw some studies that show you retain X amount of percentage by sitting closer to the front than you do in the back. What does that mean? The ones in the back need more discipleship than the ones in the front. I'm just saying. And to some degree, not to put those in the back, it's not the case all the time, but sometimes people, when they first come to church, they sit in the back so they can sneak out. That's not for everybody. Like Katie's back there. Katie serves, and she's amazing. She's been awesome. And, but she sits in the back, and she, she does discipleship with our kids next door. But it's the mentality of saying, okay, I'm going to put some effort into this. And I'm going to do what it takes on my end to position myself. And that's what the heart of it is, surrendering to the Lord. I'm going to surrender to you, Lord. And I'm going to do what others aren't willing to do. I'm going to listen to a podcast on a drive. I'm going to read my Bible in the morning. I'm going to do some devotion at night. Every morning... And I know this isn't a surprise for you, but every morning I get up and my wife has me beat every morning. And she's sitting on the couch in the reading room and she's journaling and she's praying and she's studying scripture. Every freaking morning. Almost without fail. And, and it's because my wife isn't over there going, I just got to be a better person. I got she says, I, I got to spend time with Jesus so I don't kill the kids. <laughs> she doesn't say that. <laughs> I say that. She doesn't say that. But she will say that it helps her attitude overall throughout the day. She does say that. Uh, and don't tell her I said that because she doesn't like it when you go and tell her that I said that. And then I don't tell as many stories about her. If you want to keep hearing about my wife, quit telling her that I'm talking about her you people. All right. Um, So here's the hope. Some of this 
discipleship stuff we're going to do for a few weeks, like I said. And the idea is that we, we would grow as a church and desiring to become true, radical followers of Christ. And some of the stuff that I, that I mentioned is going to come out over, over the next week to two weeks of what it really means to be a disciple and what does it look like to be a disciple? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And so it's my hope that, that those of you who know your disciples, that you would just rededicate in 2022 to be that, right? And then for those of you who aren't there to start seeing yourself in that identity, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be discipled and I want to get to that place where I can disciple and I want to be a radical follower of Jesus because the culture's not doing it. Christ will do it. And so this morning, we're going to participate in communion together uh, as we close, and it's our opportunity to practice the second sacrament that we practice as Christians. One is baptize, which we saw in Matthew 28, and then the other one is that we would participate in communion. Communion is the practice that we take at least once a month for us as a church to have a meal together. That's what it is. It's a meal. I know it's a small meal, and the reason it's a small meal is because it represents the larger meal that we have ingested completely into our lives, which is Jesus himself, right? And then together, we're sitting down recognizing we all need this substance. We all need this Christ. We all need the gospel. Uh, and so let's just take a few moments. The worship team can come up. Andy, if you could help me out and pass out the, the bread first. Wayne, could you uh, assist as well? I know you're not getting paid for it, but I've... If, um, yeah, thank you, guys. A couple over here. Um, Wesley, would you help out, bud? Just take a few moments to meditate and reflect. And uh, once the elements are passed and everyone has both elements, um, we'll participate together and I'll, I'll lead that. So just wait a few moments for it to be delivered to you and we'll participate.
stand with me, please? <clears throat> Gospel of John. The author, a witness, one who walked with Jesus, saw Jesus. He's, he says, this, this book in which I write to you, I write to you of that which I have seen, what I've heard, and what I've touched. And the reality is, is, is as disciples, that, that's where we want to be. We want to be in that place. Lord, I want to see you. I want to hear from you. I want to touch you. And whatever that experience that God gives you, you then take that and you share that. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what I've touched. I mean, it's really that simple. It doesn't need to be this deep thing. You don't have to know the five spiritual laws or the Romans road to salvation. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what I've touched. I want you to come experience it. It's one of the reasons that I have found myself in the position I'm in. Because I've literally been able to see him and hear him and touch him, both in the darkness of life as well as the goodness of life. And all I can offer you is that which I know. I'm not perfect by any means, and I never will be. But I know that he is. So Jesus has given us this command to celebrate. You can see, and you can hear, and you can know, and you can touch. This piece of little cracker matzah bread that is pierced as he was pierced for our transgressions. His blood was shed for us. It allows us to kind of step into the first century of when Jesus died on the cross and to kind of hold, if you will, the crucifixion in our hands. The crucifixion that has led to our freedom, to the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus says, do this as often as you can to remember, to, to drive you back into remembering what it is that I've done for you. So Jesus, as we participate in this meal together as a family, we thank you that you were crushed for our iniquities and that you shed your innocent blood that we could have forgiveness of sins and be reconciled in relationship with you. That wherever we go, there you are with us. Thank you, Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may partake.